Hello, everyone. My name is John Gallagher, Senior Editor at Freight Waves, and welcome to this session of Freight Waves Future Freight Festival, our F3 virtual experience. Um, in this fireside chat, we're going to be talking about some of the regulations affecting trucking in the, in the midst of this sort of um, topsy-turvy supply chain we're all experiencing right now. And we're excited to have with us Lauren Smith to help us navigate through, through that um, because Lauren heads up Skyline Policy Risk Group, um, which is one of the foremost strategic advisory firms here in Washington, D.C., that specifically tracks policy that's focused on transportation and supply chains. Lauren, welcome to the F3 virtual experience. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Now, Lauren, you formed Skyline Policy Risk Group um, sort of fresh off a, a four-year stint with the uh, within the Trump administration as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Policy um, with, within DOT. So you bring um, so you bring some great perspective to the table here. So I wanted to start out with, with infrastructure. I, I, um, they're talking about two pieces of legislation here, here in Washington, D.C., and one, one of which, or maybe both, may have already passed Congress for, for pe people watching now. Um, and that's the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation budget package that's known as Build Back Better. Could, could you talk about some of the pro important provisions in these uh, two pieces of legislation as they pertain to the freight supply chains and how will transportation costs be affected and who will be paying the price? Well, I think that the most important um, aspect is what happens with the physical infrastructure funding in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, which people are sometimes abbreviating BIF. Uh, but the, um, the the BIF has a lot of money. It's a $1.2 trillion uh, bill that um, would put a lot of funding into uh, highways, transit systems, airports, ports, uh, broadband, and a lot of other areas where physical infrastructure uh, is critical. Um, one of the things that the Congress did in the last major infrastructure bill in 2015 was to uh, instruct the department to construct the first ever freight strategic plan, a strategic plan to cover the nation's freight network. So like, what is the, you know, what are the key connecting corridors and what are the areas that uh, policymakers should focus on in making sure that the freight network, all the trucks, all, all the trains, everything uh, that the country depends on, planes, ports, um, is, uh, is, is properly understood. Um, that freight strategic plan was completed uh, last year in 2020. And so um, one of the things that, that, uh, that I'm watching closely is, uh, will the new infrastructure bill and then act, its actual implementation, if it gets through, be to uh, pay close attention to the nation's key freight corridors and also the connecting points, the areas where uh, the trucks meet the ships, meet the trains, meet the planes, um, the, the the key multimodal nodes uh, that that get those get those goods moved around, and and how are policymakers, you know, are, are they you know, you know, taking that seriously and being really focused on the freight corridors, and so that's I think really critical, you know, when we're talking in this context, John, um, both the bill and then to talk about. Uh, the 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 Build Back Better Act, um, uh, the BBBA, um, 
That's the other piece of legislation that Congress is working on that you mentioned, uh, originally scored at three and a half trillion dollars. Now, maybe one and a half, maybe one point seven five. That's very much an ongoing negotiation what that actual number is going to be. Um, But uh, that bill uh, is very important when we're thinking about uh, electric uh, vehicles, especially electric trucks and trucking. the, the, the government between the Biden administration and Congress um, are doing a couple different things here to promote electrification of the U.S. fleet. Uh, there is the regulatory side uh, where the administration is moving very aggressively to, um, to ratchet up the fuel efficiency standards <clears throat> with the idea that this would lead to uh, electrification moving away from the internal combustion engine uh, which is the vast majority of cars and trucks on the road to electric vehicles. And in the legislation, they're also adding some some carrot to that stick, as it were, by uh, putting in new tax incentives for purchasing of electric vehicles, and at the same time, putting a lot of money into funding electric vehicle infrastructure. So those are, those are some of the areas that I think are very important, uh, and we can Dig in there more if you like, or John, or what, what, um, uh, what makes the most sense to you? Yeah, well, well, it's, it, when you bring up, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the the bipartisan bill that has um, that that is geared more toward what people you call, call the hard infrastructure, like uh, highways and rail and ports, um, and the additional money that's going into those those programs and something like I, I believe the uh, the additional money is something along the lines of four four to five hundred billion dollars. But above what they normally get. Um, but I, I, one of the things that people often wonder about is is the um, because a, a lot of a lot of the news is, is gets wrapped around the the Build Back uh, Better agenda and the recon, what they call the reconciliation package because of all this kind of the so, social equity ish, uh, uh, funding that goes into that. So when you talked about the the electrification as being part of that. How, how big a part are trucks? Is the uh, truck side of that in, in in that in in those tax incentives and those grants that are being provided? Are, in other words, are trucks um, called out in in the actual legislation? So the, uh, the the big focus right now is 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 the overall tax tax incentives. Right now, there's a $7,500 tax credit for purchasing uh, any electric vehicle uh, on the roads. Um, and what the what the Congress is doing right now, and again, it's all a little bit of a moving target, but one of the things they're discussing is adding on another $4,500 uh, to that tax credit to make it you know, a very substantial um, support for purchasing uh, electric vehicles. Um, uh, so and trucks in particular would be affected by this, um, by, uh, by the, the additional focus on, um, on, on the charging infrastructure, because that, that's, that's really where I think they're looking for centralized charging points. Um, so in addition to just that, that overall money that is, is going to affect each individual vehicle, and of course, with trucks, you've got fewer vehicles, uh, but also on centralized, uh, charging, um, charging stations, which again for fleets is very important um, to be able to charge along the roadway on discrete planned routes. Gotcha. So, so in other words, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not important that, that necessarily uh, um, 
uh, points to or has trucking in there that's open. These 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 credits and incentives are open to any type of vehicle, basically. Uh, that's right. Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to also uh, move to a, a, a subject that's uh, everyone's talking about, and that's um, supply chain disruption that's going on, and a, a lot of that being focused on the, on the West Coast. Um, just generally, Lauren, do you see the move by the ports to go twenty four seven? You see it. Um, this effective in working through this supply chain crisis? And are there more levers that the federal government needs to pull here, um, either in the short term or the long term, to, to alleviate the situation in your view? Um, so if, you, if the question is, is the 24-7 move going to be effective as in, will it solve the problem? The answer is definitely not. Um, I think it'll help a little bit. I think recognition that, that look, the ports just sort of need to be going all the time. We need to be uh, getting stuff off the boats, onto the trucks. Uh, it, it's got to happen, and it's got to happen a lot faster than it's currently happening. Um, I think that that's. I think that's good. I think it's it's fairly incremental, and um, that 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 one piece. And I think you know from what we've seen, uh, the uh, port of LA and the port of Long Beach in particular, uh, which has been the big focus the past. I'd say the past few months, um, uh, it, it doesn't really mean a huge ratcheting of up of, of operations, uh, partly because uh, they they don't have enough workers. They need to have more actual people um, helping getting getting the stuff unloaded. And I think that that's that's been an issue there. I mean, you really have um, sort of a sort of a, a like a multi stage uh, challenge developing with not enough drivers, not enough workers. Um, and uh, you know, it's it, the the, uh, the, the that, that I think is probably you know the, the, the one of the biggest challenges on the regulatory side. You know, you do have um, uh, not just at the federal level, but also at the local level um, restrictions on on hours worked, on the um, on stacking of crates. Uh, that 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 was that was a big one, by the way. I think that was just actually suspended by uh, by LA County, and that was good news. Um, crates could only be stacked too high, and now. Now they can be stacked, you know, they, they can be stacked higher, uh, which is important for the empties to be stored because there's not really enough storage space either. Um, but there's, uh, and, and you know, and then, you know, to, to some extent, it's uh, companies rerouting global supply chains. Uh, there's been um, a move to move supply chains away from uh, China, uh, whether it's to Mexico, to Vietnam, to other, other places, or, you know, here in the U.S. And I think that disruption has also, uh, sort of upset, you know, what what typically had been a fairly steady flow, um, but uh, at the port specifically, you know, it, it'll be helpful if some of the infrastructure funds that Congress is considering can flow into, you know, sort of micro improvements in the in the in the in the, in the flow at these different places. But but a, a big issue is, you know, not uh, you know needing more 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 people, more workers. Yeah, you brought up the the stacking restrictions, and that because I I I think I saw the um, those tweets uh, from I guess I think it was from Ryan Peterson at Flexport. He actually went to the ports to see. I think he went in a, in a boat to see on you know what's going on like for in his own eyes just to see what was going on. And I, if I'm not mistaken, those tweets uh, from a week or so ago actually kind of was the uh, 
instigated the uh, LA County changing those those contain those container restrict those stacking restrictions. Is that right? Yeah, and I, I think it's one of the best things I've read read this year. To be honest, I mean, you know, supply chain is is something that affects everybody, and nobody ever thinks about it until there's a problem. Um, and so to you know to have somebody say, well, you know, let's go take a quick look, like an actual uh, look. I think it's uh, it's very important that um, that policymakers, in particular, you know, the companies that everyone's considering, you know, especially the the, the end user companies that you know may normally uh, be able to sort of have a sort of out of sight, out of mind uh, approach to uh, some of the some of these freight freight you know network uh, issues. Um, you know, it's very important to look and find out. Okay, well, what's let, let's set aside any any you know any philosophical or or you know business model or ideological bias that I might have. Um, you know, in Washington, of course, you got the the two major political parties squabbling over pointing fingers at each other. Um, but to actually, okay, why don't we actually look under the hood and see what the problem is? I think it's incredibly important uh, to have to sort of develop what the you know what are the half dozen things that we could do to to speed this up uh, and i think you know i think you know i think uh, ryan's uh, tweet thread was a uh, a great example of that yeah yeah and you, you you know you mentioned the uh, congress pointing fingers you got you got that and the biden's administration under pressure to do something and so they 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 you know they go ahead and, and um put in place a a uh a supply chain czar and they they you know they they're pushing them to to move to these these um di- different um, operating hours, and then you've got the ports putting in. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The um, the terminals putting in uh, uh, fee, fees um, that a lot of people don't don't see that doing. You know, solving the problem. At, at, at some point, do you think the government needs to, to pull back and 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 let the marketplace kind of work this this out? Is is that is that the solution? Well, I think in terms of the any regulations that might be creating problems, I think that's definitely the case. Uh, but there may be a role, you know, also for government, you know, to mediate between the unions uh, and the companies as well. I mean, the unions have a role to play here too. Um, you know, that there's uh, that's that, that that's that's an important part of how how that system is is currently set up. And so, the government doesn't really have an option to to not be involved because. The government has created the, the the labor management structure that exists, and so, the, so to the extent that you need to work with the unions uh, or the companies do, um, that's going to be important. And to the extent that those you know uh, regulations on how how product is getting moved around the yard um, is also very important. And, and it may be that more automation is part of the part of the picture too. Uh, and a lot of the companies have union contracts to uh, reduce the use of automation. Um, and, and all of this is going to have to be uh, part of, of what's discussed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go on into a different issue. I know you've, you've also been involved, Lauren, in, um, you know, in labor issues as well. And um, another important policy that, uh, again, could be in place right now um, for people watching for, for, for people watching this now is the um, rollout of the emergency temporary standard requiring uh, vaccines for companies of 100 or more employees. Assuming the trucking industry went ahead and received an exemption from that, how, let's just ask, how big a deal is that? And 
And if the industry did not get that, what are the implications in terms of being able to seat um, long haul trucks at a, at a time when the supply chain really needs them? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. Uh, I, th- I think the answer is that um, a, 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 a mandate, a vaccine mandate um, probably has an incremental, you know, a, f- a fairly small net negative on the number of uh, available drivers. Like you probably lose, you know, some workers who are just like, nope, not doing it. Uh, and, and, you know, but partly because of the vaccine and partly because people just don't like mandates. They don't like, you know, being ordered to do this or that. Um, probably that affects a fairly small number of truckers. However, uh, in this current environment, you know, um, you know, we, 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 the system could probably stand to use a lot more truckers. Um, I mean, the companies are talking about a driver shortage. Um, they argue with, you know, uh, others over whether or not, you know, is, is it really a, a driver shortage or is there, you know, should they be paid more? Uh, but, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the, the, the driver population is the driver population. And no one really thinks that it's that it's large enough to support the amount of commerce uh, or the amount of driving that's actually needed. So if you take off, you know, 2%, if only, you know, you, you, you lose 2% of drivers because of some other mandate. Uh, that's going to have an outsized cost on the system. Um, and right now we're already seeing that, you know, when you have several different factors at play, this is what's happening at the ports. It's not one thing that's going wrong. It's, it's you know, it's, you know, five or 10 different things. Um, and I think that, I think that that's, I think you have to be very careful with, you know, anything that could, anything that could further reduce the driver population. Right. Well, well, the, the I, I know the um, uh, American Trucking Associations, which represent the big carriers, they would, from from the large carrier perspective, they would take issue with. Um, they're, they're they're estimating that um, they did a survey. They said about half of the of the drivers in, in their membership are, aren't vaccinated, and and if there was if there were to be a mandate, half of those would um, refute would um, would would leave basically, um, either for another trucking company or for a smaller uh, company or um, altogether. Um, so. So they're estimating it to be a, a, a bigger impact. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if that means. Again, this is, this is all depending on if they get the exemption. It's a, it's a moot point, so to speak. But but even if they don't get the even if they do get the exemption, is there is there also just um, you know there are, there are other large companies in the supply chain you know, that, or that work together in the supply chain? Would it still have enough? Um, and, and as we're trying to get through this whole whole, whole disruption, would that vaccine mandate? Still have a uh, outsized impact on um, uh, moving through the the, cri- the supply chain crisis right now. I mean, I think I, I think anything that anything that you know, there there are always there are trade offs in life. There are trade offs in life. You know, some policymakers, you know, the the, the Biden administration has talked um, quite a lot about having a vaccine mandate, and they have a purpose in that. They're they're trying to pursue the end of COVID. Uh, they're trying to pursue this public health measure, but there are always there are always uh, uh, you know offsetting factors, or there's always trade-offs. And um, at every stage of the supply chain, you're right; it's not just the drivers. It's also you know it's 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 it's, it's the it's the loaders, it's the, the packers, it's everybody in in each part of the of the freight supply chain that is affected by this. And um, probably at every single stage, if you add a mandate, you know you lose a few people along the way. Um, and what we're seeing, you know, in, in 
multiple industries is they just don't have enough people. So anything that's going to reduce the number of people, and again, you know, maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's more, maybe it is closer to half, maybe it is closer, you know, maybe it is you know thirty percent or twenty percent or some you know very large, very substantial number like that. Um, you know, my guess is it's probably a little bit on the smaller side of the folks you lose, but you know, it, it could be more. I mean, I, I it, it's just the um, but but uh, my concern is that is it any sort of like any uh, reduction in the population of available folks who are willing to you know do this work um, is is a problem at, at a moment when uh, we, we already have a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going, going into this, uh, the uh, um, FMCSA's Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse, you know, it's been doing a, uh, an excellent job of, of closing loopholes that had been allowing drivers with um, substance abuse violations to, to go to get on the road. But um, marijuana has um, c- continues to be an issue as more states loosen their, their their laws on recreational use. What what is, how do you see that, Lauren? Um, in terms of the, what does that mean? I guess for the ability of to recruit drivers going forward, and what what does it mean um, going back to the whole issue of the driver population? Um, what is the uh, how do you how do you see the the drug situation going forward as far as testing is concerned? Uh, well. <laughs> there's uh, there's going to be a lot more testing and the testing companies themselves uh, will have a lot of business uh, over the next, certainly over the coming decade. Um, I mean, the issue is, uh, and, and John, you touched on it, um, is that we have, we have sort of a growing mismatch between, um, you know, broader cultural acceptance of uh, smoking marijuana or consuming marijuana um, and other recreational drugs. <clears throat> so more people are doing it. It's more, you know, sort of, you know, normalized, you know, you have decriminalization or legalization in many states. Uh, and then you just have more people using and more, you know, different kinds, uh, more potent marijuana too. Uh, so you have that going on on the cultural side, but yet you still have exactly the same number of jobs, you know, and, and by some estimates, uh, a third of all jobs uh, in the U.S. Are, are jobs where you really can't have the person be high and do it. Like if you're flying on an airplane, you might say, hey, look, pilot, uh, you're going to do whatever you do in your private life, uh, and I'm not going to judge you. But I, I really can't have you fly the plane stoned. You know, I've got my, I've got my you know, two-year-old sitting here, and I just, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry to be a drag, but can't fly the plane stoned, right? Same thing with trucks, same thing with forklifts. Same thing with a, a, a lot of positions um, where it, certainly anything involving heavy equipment, but there are just there are just a lot of jobs, um, you know, in a huge part of the workforce where, uh, you know, f- folks can't be high. But again, you have this growing, you know, you know, cultural uh, usage of, of different recreational drugs. And so that means you're going to have to have a lot of testing. And so um, one of the things that, you know, we're looking at, we've got the uh, HHS, this is the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington, which sets the um, the sort of like they look at the science of, the, of, of what's effective for testing. And um, then you have agencies like the U.S. Department of Transportation and its component agencies like FMCSA and others um, that that reflect that those testing standards onto their regulated industries like trucking, like the pilots, like the railroads. And um, 
So the, the one thing they need to, they're working on developing is the testing for hair, hair testing. Uh, so, you know, hair, saliva, blood, urine, um, they're, you know, figuring out what, what these, what the, what the standards will be. And I think that's going to be an area of, of intense focus uh, over the next few years. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay, Lauren. Well, we're going to have, we'll have to leave it there. I, thank you again for joining us today um, and for pro- providing this policy perspective as, as we head into the height of the fall peak shipping season. I guess we'll see how this all shakes out. Hope it does. Folks are working hard on it. So that I think there's, I think there's some reason for optimism, but I think, I think probably this holiday season is going to be a little tight. Yep. Okay. And thanks again, everyone for tuning in.